Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sigma Delta Talk. I'm Margot Manley Lima, National President of Sigma Delta Talk. Today's episode features Deborah Rosenblum, Jewish Women International's Chief Program Officer. In this role, Deborah has been responsible for directing and implementing JWI's programmatic work to end and prevent violence against women and girls. She's also a proud member of Sigma Delta Tau. Deborah, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to chat with you. Margo, thank you for inviting me. Um, JWI and SDC have been such wonderful partners all these years, and it's been my pleasure to be working with all of you. And as a sister, it's even more exciting. I'm so glad you brought up our partnership because I definitely want to dive into that. But before we do, I would love for you to share with our listeners why JWI was founded and what role it serves in our community today. Sure, of course. So Jewish Women International was actually founded in 1890-something. Um, so we're over 120 years old, originally as the B'nai B'rith Women. Um, and some of our listeners may have even belonged to BBYO or their moms may have belonged to BB, um, B'nai B'rith Women. Um, and we became Jewish Women International about 30 years ago. Um, and the organization always focused on the needs and you know, supporting families and children. That was the big focus. Um, and doing a lot of work in the community around advocacy, around anti-prejudice, around um, economic security, all the issues that we work on now, but as an older, an older organization. And we, we really focused in on the issues around domestic violence around 20 years ago. I think one of the reasons why our partnership has been so seamless is because of our foundings and how similar they are. Both of our organizations were founded by Jewish women and served a population that was excluded or perhaps neglected. Certainly as the decades have passed, our organizations have committed to empowering all women and this has only increased our reach and our impact. I'm curious why you think JWI and SCT are a great fit. Because we're both about empowering women. And, we're, and like you said, we're both about empowering women, all women um, of any race, ethnicity, pretty much of any age. I mean, we have moms with teens and moms with young, with young children. We have older women. We've, we've, been, we've been doing programs really for women of all ages. Um, and I think that's what's powerful about both our organizations to, to say, to, to recognize that our issues span women's lives. Um, and they're all about empowerment and the ways that we approach the issues really help to empower women. And that's the goal, like to help women be able to thrive and be the best they can be in their lives. I couldn't agree more. Um, and as we've mentioned, inherent to our respective mission um, is to empower women. And I believe that we're doing that both individually and collectively on the various programs we partner on. What do you think is the most valuable program that we offer? Uh, as through a JWI partnership. I mean, there's two, there's two that I particularly love um, and that, you know, we've, we've been doing them for years and I, I think that they help change people's lives. I mean, one of them is Safe Smart Dating and the work that we do around health relationships and preventing um, sexual assault and dating abuse on, specifically on college campuses. And the other one is around financial literacy, financial empowerment. And both of them, whether it's in personal relationships or learning how to be a friend to somebody who's been in a relationship, who's been in an abusive relationship, or taking care of your money um, and understanding how to build your own long-term economic security, which is yours and your family's, and for the well-being of all women, um, they're they're just so critical. I agree. 
One of the things that I love about our partnership is that it's not just about raising funds. We are committed to raising awareness and providing education. I greatly appreciate the fact that JWI's programs are based on research and are data-driven. That's the science nerd in me. But nonetheless, you know, you just referenced our, our life savings program, which aims to provide women a basic understanding of finance. And we think that financial literacy is important for a variety of reasons. But specifically because research has shown that women who stay in abusive relationships may do so because they don't have the financial means or savviness to be on their own. So by providing women the tools to be financially independent, it's a great preventative measure for addressing domestic violence and uh, abusive relationships. I'm just so thankful that we provide our members with this type of programming and that JWI shares its expertise with us. I think it's pretty incredible. I would like to just take that a step further because typically when we work do our work with younger women, we don't really want to talk about domestic violence because it's something that nobody really wants to think about and especially young women you want to think of you know only in positive terms and that's fine but so it's also about empowerment you know how much more empowered we are when we have confidence in our ability to manage our money and to um to understand what are the factors that should go into making financial decisions or to understand the importance and how to talk to a partner about finances and all those different things that just help build healthy relationships and confidence in life and and again let women thrive A hundred percent. And in an effort to promote healthy relationships, we also provide our undergraduates our Safe Smart Dating program. This initiative engages men and women in the conversation about dating abuse and sexual assault. And this program uses a variety of tactics, including small group discussions, case studies, live polling, um, to talk about these difficult topics. I have been a Safe Smart Dating facilitator, and I am continuously impressed with this program. I think it is invaluable and special for a number of reasons. First of all, I love that we engage men in the conversation about dating abuse and sexual assault. In the program, we iterate that while most perpetrators are men, most men are not perpetrators. Um, We say this repeatedly um, because it is true, right? Men are our allies in this effort to combat sexual assault. And although at times men can feel like they're powerless in this fight against sexual assault, they can absolutely play a vital role in changing the culture. And I think their engagement in this dialogue is necessary and crucial to tackling this matter. The second thing that I really enjoy about the program is that we recognize that there are or can be fine lines between what is healthy and what is unhealthy. Um, And trying to decipher where that line is is really important and, you know, essentially involves practice at at looking at things critically and, and taking a hard look at things. Likewise, we challenge the students to think about consent differently. And by that, I mean, we want them to shift their thinking from a no means no philosophy to a yes means yes. So engaging the men and the women in these nuanced yet necessary conversations has been a really powerful experience, not just for myself as a facilitator, but for the participants as well. Absolutely. And another reason that it's important to include men in the the conversation is because domestic violence dating abuse needs to be thought of as a woman's problem. It's the women's issue. And it's not, it's a community issue. Uh, it affects every member of a community when, when there's an abusive relationship. And um, so to get men involved as allies is critical and also because it happens to men. So while 99%, let's say, of, of, of you know, abuse would be 
perpetrated by a, by a male partner, um, it does, men are also victims um, and we need to recognize that. And we also talk about that as, like, in, same, in same sex relationships. So by including everybody in these conversations, we can just be more mindful about how, you know, the realities of relationships and empowering people with the knowledge and tools to either get to safety, to help a friend, or to choose to stay in that relationship, but to learn how to be safe in that relationship. Definitely. I think the program definitely challenges stereotypes, as you've stated. Um, you know, most people think um, men cannot be abused or assaulted, and we know that that's simply not true. Um, at times, women can be the aggressors, the assaulters. And um, I, I just think it's really interesting because it, it challenges people to think about their actions, their words, you know, so much of what we talk about is the use of words and how, um, you know, from a, from a sexual relationship, the words that we use to describe sex, to describe men, to describe women and how powerful and important words are and using the appropriate language um, to communicate what it is you're trying to communicate and, or to just represent, you know, the things that you're thinking about in, in the most appropriate way. So, um, and it's just really, I'm always struck by how wonderful it is. Sometimes we underestimate our undergraduate members, um, but they they are terrific and they rise to the occasion and they have these profound and important conversations. And it is it always fills my cup every time I get to present this presentation because it it makes me um, remember like that there is good in the world and that people want to do the right things and that we're providing the tools for them to do that. I think during COVID now. Um... Some of these programs are, are changing, adapting to the realities of online relationships and, and all that that means, um, and how do we communicate consent online, um, and how to, and yes, students are still on campuses, so, so we're trying to work kind of both ends of that, but, um, but relationships change over time, and boundaries change, and that consent piece has to always be a part of it. Um, as you get to know somebody better, boundary, boundaries might change, and so we also talk about how to communicate your boundaries and why it's okay to have boundaries, and that can still be part of a healthy relationship. Definitely. And I'm so thankful that we have you all as a partner to kind of think forward about, you know, how the nature of relationships have shifted during this pandemic and how we still remain committed to providing our members and our women the tools to, you know, create healthy spaces for themselves and for their relationships. So, you know, our, our women, the program that we offered last year looks different from what we will be offering this year, but that's 100% um, valid because our, our situation has changed. And um, I'm just so glad that we're able to keep up and to remain relevant in this program because it, it does make a lasting impact. Yeah. And I, and that's, I think that's one of the beauties of our work is that we can be nimble and, and react. We have a solid basis and then we can adapt it as, as needed for, for different students and for different times. Exactly. October is Domestic Violence Prevention Month, and JWI does a number of initiatives to bring awareness to this issue. You kind of spoke to some of it earlier, but how did JWI become involved in domestic violence prevention and awareness? So very interesting. Um, about 30 years ago, uh, a member of ours was murdered by her husband um, in a parking lot at, at, right outside of Washington, D.C., um, in one of the suburbs. And she was a Jewish woman with a Ph.D. from Princeton, and her husband also. Um, they lived in the suburbs, they had two kids who went to day school, and they had all the trappings of what you would think was like, wow, that's a great family. Um, and it was like, who knew? Who knew that there was domestic abuse in the Jewish community? Who knew that people with, you know, affluent people, that there was domestic violence? I mean, nobody talked about these things then. So we were really committed 
to raising the issue in the Jewish community and to ensuring that that Jewish women had the tools and resources to understand these kind of relationships and how to get support and help. And that was at the very beginning. And then we broadened that because we understood the importance of talking to all women um, about that. But we could only do this once we were kind of solid in the Jewish community and that public awareness was great. And then we were able to do the interfaith work that we're doing and work in the secular spaces. Um, but that was really it. It was shocking. It was shocking to the organization that this woman, that such a woman would be murdered by her husband. So tell me a little bit more about the work that you're doing in the secular arenas. So we do a lot of work. Well, we're part of a national task force on domestic abuse and sexual assault, working on federal legislation. I'm on Capitol Hill. Right now it's kind of virtually on Capitol Hill, but working very hard um, to, um, to get to support legislation and to draft legislation around that supports the victims and survivors of domestic violence and the programs that support them. So whether it's advocating for more funding for transitional housing or shelters or for, um, or for uh, gun violence prevention, all those, all those issues that impact women um, who are in violent relationships are the kind of issues that we work on in secular spaces. Um, and that's a very powerful part of our work. A lot of our work is also in the interfaith space um, through our interfaith coalition against sexual and domestic violence. And that's a group of about 40 different faiths. And it's, it's the most exciting thing to see people of different faiths come around the table and people that, groups that you wouldn't necessarily want to talk about all the issues that you care about with because there'll be some pretty major theological dif differences. And, and that's great, that's fine, that's like wonderful. Um, but there's things that we absolutely agree on and that is that violence against women, violence against anybody is wrong. Um, so I'd love to find those places where we agree because to me, that's how we're gonna create change and peace in the world. And so, and so we do, and, we, and um, we, again, we work on federal legislation um, um, to support federal legislation and it's very powerful to have faith groups speaking to the different members of Congress around why our faith supports these kinds of important legislation. I imagine that, you know, individuals who are experiencing domestic violence go to their faith community as perhaps a first resource or as an escape. So engaging these um, groups is, you know, further enhancing the support that we can offer to women and children and men who maybe um, are experiencing this in their home. Is Absolutely. that your experience? Absolutely. They say that the number is something like one in five women, and stats are kind of weird, but one in five women um, turn first to their faith leader in times of trauma and trouble, and, and def definitely domestic violence is one of those times. And our concern is that faith leaders need to be prepared to respond appropriately because they can do great damage otherwise. And um, more, but more and more of them are being trained, and, and JWI does training on that also. Um, fact, just for domestic, you know, I was running through my mind all the things that we're doing for DVAM this year, and it's like insane. Um, <laughs> the only thing I could come up with is like, okay, that, that qualifies, that's insane, but just tomorrow, we just created a new guide for clergy on domestic violence, um, and we're doing a training for clergy on that, um, so they can better understand how to support the survivors who come to them and also that they should feel confident in speaking out about it because the more they speak out, the more people will approach them and to build for them to build connections with the DV advocates who serve their communities. Um, 
I wanted to get back to something you said before about the secular spaces. We do a lot of work with domestic violence shelters across the country, building libraries for children for in battered women's shelters. So often the children, you know, a mom will, will run in the middle of the night and she's taking her wallet and her children um, and leaving behind books and, uh, you know, comfort toys and things like that. Um, so we build libraries in those spaces so that the children who are living in shelter can have a beautiful place to sit and read and feel calm. Um, and we also support um, uh, domestic violence shelters across the country with um, financial literacy resources and flowers on Mother's Day and different kinds of things that we do. And also a great deal of training. We provide a great deal of training to the domestic violence community as a whole. The library initiative is something, um, a project that really resonates with our undergraduate women. I know a lot of our undergraduate women raise funds for that. And, you know, oftentimes when you raise money, People like to know that it's going to tangible things and the fact that our chapters can raise funds and literally create a library or enhance a library at a shelter is a very powerful experience for them and something that gives them great joy to be able to contribute. And um, at our centennial in New York in 2017, um, we raised funds and we dedicated a library in New York City where we had our, our centennial celebration. And that was a wonderful experience to number one, showcase our partnership with JWI, but also show how all of our efforts are making a lasting impact in the lives of women and children. And I just love the library project. It's definitely very near and dear to my heart. And um, it's just such a wonderful thing that you are, are championing and that the fact that our members can support and um, take part in it is, is truly a gift. Thank you. It's, it's one of our, it's like all of our favorite projects, right? Because what's better than reading to a little kid or seeing a little kid, you know, open a book and, and also, for many of these children, they haven't had that kind of safe space to sit with their mother peacefully and read. And, and, and you know, so many of us were lucky enough to have that as children or to be able to do that with our children. And, we, you know, everyone should have that experience. So this provides that space. Um, and then, you know, to do homework um, and to sit and, and just to like, be there. So everything is brand new. And we are so grateful for the support of SDT in helping us build these. Just recently now we're providing laptops um, for children because so many children are doing Zoom school um, and um, there's a huge gap in the, the digital divide. I mean, so many people don't have laptops, don't have the resources that they need to be able to go to school um, and the impact will be enormous and especially enormous among the most vulnerable who are children, who include children in shelters. So we're providing laptops. That's terrific. In a similar vein, I'm curious, what impact are you seeing from COVID on domestic violence and trends across the country? It's global. I mean, it's global. There's an epidemic of domestic violence globally. And I, I, I don't have it right with me in front of me, but there are stats from just about every country, but the increase in domestic violence um, and the lethality of domestic violence and the murder rate actually has gone up enormously. Um, and, it can, and I think that people understand DV or something about being confined and being isolated because of the quarantine and social isolation that so many of us are experiencing and have experienced for the past half year or so. Um, and what that must be like, even with the, I always say like, I have, you know, the best relationship in the world, but if you're in like a one bedroom apartment, you can imagine that at some point, like it might just be too much. And, you, and, you, and, and um, if you don't have a good relationship, like where does that anger go? Where does that frustration go? 
and it's um, it's landing on women who are isolated, who are scared, who have trouble reaching out to the programs that can provide them with support, and who are really locked in with their abusers. And um, the rise has been absolutely tremendous during COVID. Well, you know, it's really interesting. Um, back in April, I did a podcast episode with the CEO of uh, PCAA, Prevent Child Abuse America, which is our other philanthropic partner. And Melissa was sharing with me that um, during the pandemic, there was, and of course, in April, this was very early on, just like weeks into it, that they had already seen a spike in child abuse. Um, and that some of the uh, intervention methods were no longer in place, right? So when yeah. children came to school, you could observe their, you know, physical well-being, their emotional state, you know, but now that class was not in session, that checkpoint wasn't there or, you know, after school programs. And so um, it was very taxing on families. Um, and it was also really difficult to get a pulse on, on how people were doing who had previously experienced child abuse or neglect. So I imagine that's true, you know, for people who experience domestic violence. And, you know, I have a wonderful family. I love my husband. I love my children. But this situation is extremely taxing. So I can't imagine for families who are, who, you know, are, in a hostile environment or who have some underlying issues, like how this pandemic is just exacerbating those issues. Exactly. And also because women, you know, you might've been able to go out for a walk or go to work and have some network there, or maybe you went to school and had a network there, or you were able to, you know, just to get out of the house. And so with the quarantine, it was a lot harder. Um, and then, and, and, um, and people had a lot of trouble reaching the support that they needed. And I, actually started a support forum for the DV advocates themselves. I started it in April because I felt that they were under such enormous stress. Like these are the people they want to serve and yet it's incredibly difficult to serve them during COVID. Um, and how, and one of the things that they said was that, you know, to, they were doing counseling, like the abuser might be in the room. I mean, how do you have a right. private conversation? Exactly. So, so all, all these factors, you know, and with the increased lethality and increased presence of it, make this a very dangerous time. Exactly. So for our listeners who want to get involved in supporting this cause or want to learn more about JWI and the myriad of programs that you offer women, um, what suggestions do you have for them? Um, I think everyone um, can definitely learn more about the library project and participate in that. And, you know, if, if, if that's something that, that people are interested in getting involved in, that's definitely, that's definitely a place that feels really good, that the money really goes to the kids, really goes to the libraries. Um, so that's a wonderful project that we really encourage. We provide a lot of training. Um, and if people are interested in, like, even thinking about graduate school or who are already social workers or anything like that and want to learn more about the training that we offer. Um, we have monthly trainings for the field and we'd love to have any and all of you part of it. Um, our young women's leadership networks, um, I think they just changed their name to young women's impact networks, um, are in six different cities around the country and provide myriad of programs for young women to get to know each other, to, to, um, to think about their own goals, how they're going to, how they're going to advance professionally, um, just to kind of network and meet new people, have, get mentors. So if you're in one of those six cities, we would love to have you join us and definitely, um, and there's spaces and we're working harder and harder at being sure that we, that they're diverse and inclusive spaces. Um, 
and everyone is welcome to become part of part of our networks and part of our work. Um, well, I definitely encourage our listeners to follow you on Instagram um, because I think you provide such great and timely information about things that are going on in the world, ways to empower women and support each other, and then all your fabulous programming. I know many of our undergraduate members participated in your summer series this year, and um, you know we're gearing up for the program you have coming up in December. And so um, I think that's a great way to keep abreast of all the wonderful ways to get involved. And also, actually, typically, um, we have SDT interns um, in, our, in our offices, actually physically there um, over the summer. So when we always encourage people to apply, we love having SDT interns. They help us write some of our programs. We run everything by them, by our, by our SDT interns, and say, like, well, do you think this will fly in your chapter? Well, you know, what, what, what needs to be different? Because we always want to be sure that we're having that, that voice of, of SDT as part of our program. So if you're interested in that and applying for an internship, please go ahead and do that. Um, and I, I wanna add one more thing. We're doing a lot of work around civic engagement and voting. So if you're of age to vote, um, please remember to vote and, um, and make a plan so that you can get out there and vote. And if you're not of age yet, just encourage your friends who are and your family who are to be able to, to be sure that they vote this year. It's so important. Absolutely. You know, um, last August, I was visiting American University during their work week as they prepared for recruitment, and I went on philanthropy day. So they were practicing, like articulating um, the things that they did to support PCAA and JWI. And so when the sister, um, the vice president of recruitment spoke about JWI, you know, she was rattling off all these amazing things that you guys were doing and how the chapter was supporting it. And I, I interjected and I said, ladies, Let's not forget, these are not just amazing women who are, you know, championing uh, all of these causes. These are our sorority sisters doing it. So I feel like it's extra special because the work that JWI is doing is so profound and so important. And the cherry on top is that it is our sorority sisters who are doing these things. So I am so thankful for our collaboration on a number of issues. And I'm so thankful that you guys are doing the incredible work that you're doing and that we have the opportunity to call you sisters. Cause I think that just makes this working relationship that much sweeter. It absolutely does. It is wonderful to be a sister in SBT. Well, thank you so much, Deborah, for thank joining you. us today. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. If you're interested in learning more about our philanthropic partner, Jewish Women International, please visit their website at jwi.org. Thank you for joining us for this episode. My name is Margot Manley-Lima, and you've been listening to Sigma Delta Talk.